0: This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: I was always one of those people who really placed my sense of self in my work, the societal perception of motherhood and how we are judged so much according to some sort of perfect myth of motherhood. There is no such thing as a perfect mother and most mothers are perfectly average and that's great. Their children turn out great. If something's not working for me, it's not working for her because ultimately so much of our mental well-being shifts to our child. We don't view care jobs as something that is necessary. I have all these things that really do help me, and yet it's still hard.
0: (laughs) Elise Adlam is a feminism and philosophy educator for mothers and parents. She's also a mother herself, and through her work, she breaks down complex topics into digestible bites. She makes the daunting interesting, and she is deeply passionate about educating others on the intersection of motherhood, feminism patriarchal parenting, and neoliberal capitalism. Here, we talk about the perfect motherhood myth, how our sense of self can change for the better in motherhood, the power of knowledge, and being tired all the bloody time. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the thoughtful and intuitive Elise Adlam. Elise, thanks so much for being on the show. Can you please start by introducing yourself and your family?
1: Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to be on. Uh, so, my name is Elise Adlam. I'm originally Australian, as you can hear from my voice. <laughs> um, so, my husband's Israeli. I've lived out of Australia for about five or six years. And our daughter, she was born uh, 21 months ago now, and we live together in Europe. So, I moved
0: around a bit. I love that. Lots of travel. You've had a really interesting education and career to date. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Sure. Yeah, I definitely haven't had um, just a clear career trajectory. I guess I've jumped around a bit. Um, I had a few years after high school of kind of jumping around, seeing what I wanted to do. Eventually I realised I was really into... Uh, academic philosophy. So for many years, I was studying at university, doing all the levels, um, up to master's. And at the same time, I was working in early childhood education because I really love working with kids. Up until I had my daughter, I was really on that path to going to doing a PhD. But at the same time I had done some editing work and I, once I moved to Israel, I worked as an editor at a newspaper there, like kind of like a, I don't know what state you're in, but it's kind of like the age or something like that. Like uh, the I'm in Melbourne. Paper. Yeah. In Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Great like context. That.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I realized that I was really enjoying doing that editing work as well. And when did becoming a parent come into the picture for you? Was it one of those things that you'd been thinking of for years, how am I going to make this work with my career or was it quite a natural progression for you?
1: Yeah, the former, definitely. I, um, yeah, in the academic world, especially for women, you know, you do think a lot about how it is that you're going to juggle being a parent because it's all about progressing constantly constantly. And people talk about a lot if there's any sort of gap in your career trajectory. So for a long time, I was thinking, should I do a PhD and then have a child? Should I should I have a child and then continue doing my PhD? What should I do? And getting all this different advice from women in the field. Um, philosophy is a really male-centered field still. Um, mostly That's white men. So Yeah, mostly white old men, unfortunately. <laughs> so
0: really
1: um, exciting a few for you. women mentors that I did have yeah, they were saying, you know, you can, you can just do it. You can have a kid and then keep doing your PhD. So that is um, what I decided, because I guess I just got to a certain age and, you know, the hormones hit. And I was like, I was already married to my husband. However, we were moving around from country to country. And so it wasn't ideal in that sense. But eventually I sort of just said to him, look, I think I just want to do it now. We'll figure it out.
0: You eventually do become pregnant. How did that go for you while working? Was it smooth sailing or was it pretty hard growing a human while trying to work and trying to study?
1: Yeah, it was It was pretty tricky for me. Honestly, I wasn't a big fan of pregnancy. I mean, of course, I wasn't in a medical sense, was very healthy. I was doing well, but I had morning sickness for months and months, you know, mm-hmm. being sick every day, multiple times. So I would really go to work, like go to the newspaper um try and really be concentrating it's a job I guess like most people's jobs where you, you really really have to concentrate mm. and I mean it, it was tricky you know I would have not eaten anything because I or just because I was afraid I was going to be sick and uh so I started yeah I started asking to take just the day shifts it was okay but I didn't really enjoy
0: it mm, it's a hard one I think because in motherhood and pregnancy and conception I think we often can feel guilty about complaining about something that comes yeah. more challenging for other people so it's really hard but I think it's really good to say when you don't like pregnancy because I think a vast majority of pregnant people don't really enjoy it but no one yeah. really talks about it and
1: people talk about the beautiful parts of it how mm. you know of course there are beautiful parts where you feel kicks and things
0: like this but it's hard for your body it's it's a challenge It's really hard. We're basically endurance athletes. I saw an amazing stat about the other day. So then you do give birth to your daughter and go on maternity leave. What does maternity leave look like for you? And what was early parenthood like for you?
1: In Israel, you get three months of maternity leave. That's the norm. And my husband got two weeks off at the start. Uh, I guess those two weeks were really, really nice at the beginning, but it did seem, it did feel really, really quick that he went back to work and he has a Mm. really busy job. So I guess those first few months were pretty intense looking back. I was in a love bubble, but on the other hand, my daughter really had pretty bad colic. She was crying a lot for hours a day. I was kind of a little bit in survival mode, really looking back. To be honest, I don't think I really got a handle on it until she was about six months old. I started to start feeling more like myself again. I mean, in those first few months, I couldn't even think about doing day-to-day stuff. I was so Mm. much in survival mode, Even, even cooking a meal or anything like that. It just seemed impossible. And I would look around at some of my friends who had babies at the same time and they were working at the same time as they were, you know, the baby was sleeping on them or they were just doing a lot of things. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? But I realized that babies just have different temperaments and my girl was having a bit of a
0: hard time coming into the world, so. It's amazing too. You're learning on the job at the end of the day. So (laughs) you don't really get any training too. It's a tough learning curve, yeah. How did it go stepping away from work for a year? Very different to what I thought
1: it would be actually. I was always one of those people who really um, placed my sense of self in my work, in education, and in that was really how I saw myself. And also I think I placed a lot in other people recognising I was smart because I did this certain work. And actually it was this huge uh, perception shift for me having my daughter. I know for a lot of people they really, I guess they really struggle because they don't have that. For for me it was really... um, a really nice thing. I realized I don't need all that, that actually my sense of self shouldn't come from my work as much as I love it. That actually just being me, just existing, that is already enough. And so somehow I was able to really shift my perception. And you know, when I would talk to people and I would tell them, yeah, I'm a mom. And I wouldn't even worry about telling them, oh, but I used to do this. But And it was really refreshing, actually. I could just not have to worry about having the conversation about
0: explaining what I do or anything. People are like, oh yeah, you're a mum. Isn't that amazing? That's been actually a really big theme, which I've loved from these episodes and interviews is that for the first time, I think people aren't looking for external validation and sure there might be the things of like comparing yourself to other parents and wondering why are they able to, you know, get in the kitchen after a month when I'm not, but it's the first time we're not really getting a measure of success from our output, like a really tangible measure of success? I guess a tangible
1: one, right? Because I guess something that I I talk about in my work and think about a lot is um, the societal perception of motherhood and how we are judged so much according to some sort of perfect myth of motherhood. In that sense, I think people really are being judged and seek and often not get external validation. However, you're right because... If we're able to shed that a little bit, if we're able to not fall into that trap, then absolutely, I think, you know, you really are more in the day-to-day of life. You're just thinking, what am I doing now? Okay, now we're playing, now we'll go to sleep. And of course, there's, there are really lovely parts of that. You go outside for a lovely walk can get a coffee, chat to friends and everything like that. And I think that allowed me to really focus more on the day-to-day of life rather than thinking, what's my next goal? Okay, in one year, I want to be here. In two years, I want to be doing this, which I think being in work really always puts you in that sort of
0: um, future-focused trajectory. I've never actually heard it so eloquently put, but that is absolutely how I feel too. I could not agree more. I've always loved external validation, loved goals and smashing them, loved people telling me I'm doing a good job, but I feel really similar. So that's really interesting. So then you do return to work. How do you feel in the lead up and then how does it actually play out for you emotionally, logistically? Mm -hmm.
1: So I guess my situation is a bit unique and super privileged, I have to say, because like I said, in Israel, you get three months of time off. At that point, I talked to my editor at the newspaper, uh, to my boss, and I said, look, I'm not ready to come back. Also, because my daughter was really colicky and really... I mean, I was pretty afraid for her to be with anyone else. I just wasn't ready looking back. Mm. So anyway, so I said, let's wait. And she was really nice about it. She was willing to wait. Um, But that became unpaid leave, which we're really, really lucky that we're in a financial position to be able to have, because I know for most mothers, it's simply not the case. Most families, Mm. it's just, okay, you have to go back to work. So I ended up taking a year off. Um, I was thinking of taking even more, like when when I... said, I don't want to go back at three months. I talked to my husband and I was like, I don't know, one year, two years, because at that time, everything was so intangible. But honestly, once my daughter got, was getting closer to one year, I moved from finding that time at home with her absolutely amazing and enjoying most moments. It's still difficult, but enjoying it to finding it pretty difficult. And I think it was just that move from baby to becoming a young toddler where she just had so much energy, just really needed to be doing stuff all the time. I would take her outside to the park twice a day. Wasn't enough. And I thought, look, I think she needs to go to childcare. And my husband is, of course, I mean, he was like, yes, of course she does. She'll love it. Um, but then on the emotional side, I was really worried if she's going to settle in like everyone is. Um we always contact sleep. Like she sleeps in the bed with us and naps. She would only fall asleep if uh, she was breastfeeding. So I was worried about that, but actually at the end of the day, we found a really nice daycare and with absolutely lovely carers. They're just the best people ever. And of course, she fell asleep by herself there on the beds with all the other kids because that's what they do. That's what everyone says, but you think it won't happen to your kid. You think, oh no, but they really need me. But you know, they're smart and they, they see what the other kids are doing. So she settled in really quickly. We were very lucky because she does have an outgoing temperament. So because I know it's not just about what you do and it's not just about how you prepare them. Some kids are more difficult to warm up than others, but she's super social. So she just loved it. She settled in super easy. And basically what I decided was that I didn't want to do the editing at the newspaper anymore because I'd be doing it remotely. It was quite a demanding job um, that I didn't see myself doing with a young kid. Like I said, there's night shifts. It's pretty inflexible and not great pay, Uh, which is not something I thought about before, but having a kid I did start to think about.
0: I've had that too where I'm like oh god I wish I just picked a career I wish I didn't care about what I did and just wanted to earn good money because all of a sudden I'm like yeah didn't didn't pick the right vocation.
1: (laughs) Exactly that's what yeah I mean on that point uh, I also decided I didn't want to start doing my PhD straight away because same as that I just realized that it's too much while I have a young kid so I guess um, it's it's I mean, way too much dedication, pretty little reward, very, very little money. So it just, to me, it didn't make sense. I know people make it work, but just for me, I I felt like it wasn't
0: for me. And you give so much as a parent too. So it's like, it's a lot of brain power to use on other things that aren't for you. Well, they're for you in a way, but you know what I mean? It's using up a lot of your energy and brain power and not leaving much in the reserve, I imagine.
1: Exactly. And I just thought, I don't want that to be my life. At this point in my life, when I have a young child, I don't want to do that. So I had a rethink and I realized that I can pretty easily do freelance editing. You know, English editing is something that's wanted everywhere. I can do it online. And so I started to do the freelance editing at the same time with having an idea of slowly launching my business in doing uh, public philosophy and feminism. So for a long time, I guess I had this idea that I could somehow combine things with parents and kids, and philosophy. But I always had some reservations because usually philosophy academics don't do anything publicly. It's a little bit of a taboo. I think there's an idea that you can't really communicate these ideas with everyday people uh, as if they're somehow too complicated or people don't care. I was was most worried people wouldn't care, to be honest. Uh, So I sort of just started doing the social media and stuff for that to see if there was some interest while I was editing and yeah that's basically been the last
0: few months. And so can you tell us a bit about this business that you will be launching?
1: Yeah so basically the idea of it is that in the philosophy I work on I basically look at political philosophy, feminism and social justice. So you know everything to do with gender rights, racism, Looking at capitalism and the way that, you know, our our obsession with working, with making money produces all these inequalities and how all these things go together. So because I'd worked with children before, I was always really fascinated about how children are the best thinkers. Children just are really able to pick up ideas so easily. And actually, it's adults that, that are the problem. We have really, really set ideas. We're really stuck in our ways. And it's really challenging for us to change our ideas. And I started thinking, actually, this is the best way to do it, to teach kids from day one, to teach young kids about feminism, about social justice and things like this. So basically, the idea of my business is that I'm going to be creating courses on feminism, social justice and kinds of philosophy for parents. And it will be about how they can incorporate that into their parenting but also a lot of it will be focused on how they can look at their position as parents, or specifically as mothers, in the context of a society that is extremely patriarchal, that is a system of neoliberal capitalism that really places us in this situation where we've been taught that we need to idealise ourselves in an individual sense above everything else, that you know nurturing and growing our families isn't important, that creating community, creating connections, this isn't important. What is important is that I as an individual will self actualize via my work and this comes Mm -hmm. back to what we were talking about before, right, that all of these things really come to a head in motherhood because then these ideologies that we've been taught come up against our just our emotions really and our real gut instinct about what is actually important. So I'm also going to be focusing on courses for mothers about how they can grapple with this idea and how they can empower themselves within this context to strip away these ideas these patriarchal ideas of what it means to be a mother to mother in a sense that is empowering to them and that hopefully in doing so is helping to create a better world in which for our daughters and for our children they won't have these
0: same internal battles I think it's such an interesting time to be educating when they reach that sort of parenting or motherhood stage too, because for a lot of us in heterosexual relationships in our generation, who've enjoyed more equality than past generations, still a long way to go. But it's the first time when we become a mother that we've really, I think, notice that huge disparity where most likely at home with the kid, our partner goes off and just lives his work life two weeks after the birth. So I think it's yeah. a really interesting time to start that education. And I think it opens up inequality on a bigger scale to us. We think, okay, so if this is how we're feeling in this in this way, what else can we learn about different types of inequality? So I'm really fascinated by what you're doing. When do you think you're launching this or what's the sort of plan and pipeline? So
1: first I'll address uh, what you were saying about how it, uh, it's a kind of interesting time to talk about inequality and I think you're absolutely right because I think for a lot of us and especially white middle-class women you know we live in such a privileged way that a lot of inequalities that people are facing a lot of microaggressions and things like this really we can just surpass them and yes in our work lives it is extremely likely that we will have faced uh, certain things like uh, you know mansplaining people will or people will overlook us because we're a woman we will get stereotyped in certain ways and of course, in our dating life, we will have experienced, you know, manifestations of patriarchy. We will have experienced men treating us badly, men um, doing absolutely terrible things. But in general, you can kind of sidestep them a bit. Mm. Then, when it comes to your personal life, you know, the very fundamental part of uh, what it means to be a human being, and you you step away from uh, this role where you can totally define yourself in your work, and then you think what. What does it actually mean if society was really valuing me as this uh, working person? And in this sense, you were, you know, kind of stepping into this ideal human being, which is in many ways male. Our sense of what an ideal human being is, is this liberal individual, this individual who is free to choose what they want, who is rational, who is, who doesn't really need other people and who fundamentally is male. You know, mm-hmm. it has all these male attributes. And we're able to step into that to a certain extent. But then when we become a mother, we really have this sort of existential crisis or that means a crisis about what is the meaning of our existence. Because we think, well, if actually this has all been a lie and actually now I have become a mother in this society that is extremely patriarchal and that has this idea of a mother that I can't seem to live up to. You know, there, there is so much pressure on me. And suddenly my entire sense of worth is placed in how well
0: I can parent this child. We'll be right back after this short break. As a busy mum, I love a baby carrier. But in my search, I really struggled to find one that offered both functionality and style. So I was absolutely wrapped when I found Portia, a brand that was created by busy parents for busy parents. Portia was designed with simplicity in mind, empowering you to go about your day with baby in tow without compromising on style. Thanks to Portia, Listeners of Ready or Not can receive a $20 voucher by using the code RON20 upon checkout at portia.com.au. This voucher is valid until June 12, and we'd like to thank our sponsors.
1: At the same time, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, your partner is still just basically going about their life as before. Mm. And so then... It can be this real existential awakening of like, this is extremely unjust. And like you said, mm-hmm. once you have this awakening about justice, once you start thinking about justice, I guess for some people that can be a pivotal time where they think, and this is also unjust. And, you know, we're within this entire system, this entire web of injustice that all comes together. So with the courses, I think uh, my plan is that. First of all, I will be writing some written resources that I hope to launch in a few months. And then probably around the middle of the year, I will be launching one course. By the end of the year, I hope to have two or three. So basically, uh, the first course that I'm going to be launching is going to be looking at the situation of the mother within patriarchal society and how mothers can be empowered to... Uh, to be the kind of mother that they want to be through learning about feminism because I think that's the cool thing about theory. I know a lot of of people think why do we read all this depressing theory? It just makes us think that everything sucks, we can't change it. And I think actually the exact opposite is true. It's via understanding this information, via understanding the systems of inequality that we can go through them, unpack them and break through Mm them. Rather than just
0: knowing that it's sort of unfair but not really Thinking about how or
1: why. And I think, sure, I totally get it that we can get bogged down by this and think, oh, my God, things aren't changing. They're never going to change. But I think that knowledge is really empowering. Mm. If we realise, for example, that there is no such thing as a perfect mother and most mothers are perfectly average and that's great, their children turn out great, then that's really empowering because we can think about how Okay, I don't actually have to meet this unrealistic mythical standard of what a perfect m- mother is. I just have to do okay. I just mm. have to make sure that my kid is dressed in something, that they eat food, <laughs> that, you know, I, that I engage with them a bit, that I love them. So I want to give a few strategies to really empower mothers. And then after that, we'll look at courses that are more to do with feminist parenting. So how you can incorporate that into your parenting, how you can incorporate those strategies into teaching your kids. And yeah, I guess I have pretty big goals for where it'll go in the future, but we'll just have to see.
0: I'm so excited about that. I will be your first subscriber or student or whatever. That's really fascinating. I think that's really helpful what you're doing. Um, So then your... Working part-time, I believe, while also working yeah. on launching a business. What are some yeah. of the biggest challenges of being a working parent, do you think?
1: Being tired. I think everyone, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I think that, yeah, just being tired all the time. I mean, I, my my daughter is 21 months now. She still sleeps pretty bad. And so I'm just tired all the time even though I'm in a super privileged position where she goes to daycare, where uh, we have a wonderful babysitter, we have a cleaner who comes once a week. She's amazing, you know? So I have all these things that really do help me and yet it's still hard. (laughs) So, uh, and I, and I think that it's important. We say that, you know, that it's still hard, even if you do have those things. And so, yeah, I guess um, just, just being able to balance everything, I always feel like, especially because I'm working for myself, I just always feel like I don't tick enough things off the list and that I'm kind of always chasing my tail. But on the other hand, I guess, of course, it's good to work for yourself because then when my daughter's sick, inevitably a million times, then
0: then I can stay home with her and everything like that. love that you touched on as well being tired even though you're 21 months in and you know that you have a pretty privileged position because I think that also breaks down that perfect mother myth too because it's like actually we never really nail this and it never necessarily gets easy we're just always learning so what about then some of the best parts of being a working parent we often get a bit fearful me for example I'm nine months into parenting I'll be returning to work soon and I guess I sort of have by this podcast too I sometimes get worried in the fear of it but then you hear about the good parts of it and why people love it and why people return besides income so can you give us some of the positives please
1: (laughs) oh yeah I think especially on social media we see so much fear-mongering about it especially about this stuff about Uh, the child's development and how it will affect it and everything like that and you know it can really put so much pressure on mothers and I'll be completely honest that for me I made the choice to send my daughter back I didn't have to I could have kept I could have kept her home with me longer but I chose not to because I realized that it's not working for me and you know if something's not working for me it's not working for her because ultimately so much of our mental well-being shifts to our child. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not doing well mentally, then she won't be. So I made that decision and we're so much better for it. I get to spend my day being mentally stimulated. I need, I get to really build my two businesses, do things I'm passionate about, and then when I go and play with her, when I pick her up. Yes, it's still challenging, but I have that separation. It's not like every day is an endless Endless, hard task that never ends, which I'll be completely honest, that's what it started to feel when my daughter got to around one year old. So for me, it's fantastic, you know, we have the best of both worlds, and I'm really lucky that I can work part time it's more it's about seventy five percent, so then I get to spend my afternoons with my daughter, and for me, it's fantastic, really as much as as much as it's difficult, I think when i think about staying home with her all the time or for example on days when she's sick it is mm-hmm. way harder and there's no way i would choose that mm-hmm. and i think that we shouldn't be ashamed to say that
0: no i agree actually who i interviewed last night her name's lisa and she's a researcher she said she's had a lot of experience or a lot of research to suggest that nine ten month point is where we start to get a bit like okay actually we do want something else and i'm definitely noticing that with my son he's starting daycare next week And instead of being nervous, I'm actually feeling a sense of relief. I just, I'm starting to really need that time. And I really thought that would never come, you know, four weeks in, I was like, how am I ever going to leave this baby? Whereas now I'm like, actually, I need this break. So I think it's a really good thing to highlight because I think it also comforts parents that are going to head down that journey and being scared of leaving their kid. I think there's lots of benefits. I'm really glad that you touched on that. So you put a really interesting um, post up and you talked about how quality isn't really enough and that we need a system change. And this really resonated with me because you say in it how your partner does his fair share but how you're still both exhausted and how it's still not enough. And that's exactly how I feel with my husband. When he's home, he absolutely is 50-50. I've taken the parental leave and I am breastfeeding. So in that sense, obviously, I've taken on more of the lion's share. But outside of those hours, it's absolutely 50-50. Can you touch on what you sort of meant by that and go a little bit deeper into your thoughts around this?
1: Definitely. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of discussion these days about the mental load and about care work. So about the way that mothers are really taking on both mentally and physically the majority of tasks in household labor and in caring for children, but also all the planning to do with that. And so there's this heaps of discussion there's something called fair play where they talk about how you can divide the household tasks 50 50 and i think this is absolutely fantastic of course because many couples in heterosexual relationships do not have that situation and we know by statistics that that is not the case that women are doing far more
0: mm.
1: however this just isn't the be all and end all so the situation is that even though this is a big part of the problem in patriarchal society, patriarchy isn't the entire problem. You'll know because you've looked at some of my work that it is also the context of neoliberal capitalism that I talk about and the way that we have been taught that we need to be individuals who can fend for ourselves and who can get it all done by ourselves. This, I believe, is an ideological myth that is telling us that we don't need community, that we don't need care, that we don't need to work together. And this has really put us in a position where there are not those societal structures there that will help us in our day-to-day lives or to live a fulfilling existence. So what I'm talking about are things like government-paid childcare that is going to allow women to return to work if and when they want to, without having to worry about paying an exorbitant amount, that if women do want to stay home with their children, or if the men, if any partner wants to stay home with their children, that they don't need to worry about money that the government can pay them for that time, maybe can think about for a certain amount of time, and so that they're able to do so. There aren't community structures in place so that we can connect with other parents, that we can have systems of care that are going to look after us as families, as human beings, so that we feel a sense of context in our lives. I think that in a very fundamental sense, we're way too focused on individual human beings living their individual lives and Mm. not focused enough on the way that we live within a context of a system of human beings that really needs to care and support each other. And a government that's really not doing enough to support families so even if we really you know we divide the housework equally it doesn't mean that we're not going to be spending too many hours at work so that when we come home to our kids Mm. we're just absolutely exhausted you know too tired to play with them that most people are super worried about how they're going to pay their bills buy food for their kids whether they need to put petrol in the car extremely basic things that you and I are very lucky not to have to worry about, but the fact is that most parents are worrying about those things every day, you know? So, okay. If your partner's doing the housework, that's fantastic. But you know, these things are so fundamental to having a meaningful and a good existence
0: that I just think there is so much that needs to be changed. Mm, it's sort of like we talk about this. It takes a village thing, which is great, and but yeah. it's the village is normally reflected in your family and your friends, whereas it really needs to be about society and structures and government.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Because that village is it kind of has layers to it. So you have your you have your family and your friends, but then more than that, you have your local community. Then you have the government and the society that you live in, and from the 1980s, when neoliberalism really became a, a economic and ideological structure, we've really seen this stripping away of social welfare. We've seen this demonization of anyone that needs any kind of help from the mm-hmm. government as if they're just leeches. And we've seen privatization of schools, of healthcare, of so many things. So it really means that there's very little there for the people that need it. And so people just really having to fend for themselves in a way that I think really just doesn't reflect a quality, a good quality of life. For a country that has so much money, really so many resources, we live a fantastic life. And if we compare ourselves to other countries with a similar level of wealth and a similar GDP, it's very strange that we really force people to live like this.
0: Mm, so fascinating. I love the way you mentioned leeches too, because I think it's so hard to have these arguments without people acting like, oh, people just want something from the government. But it's like, there's so much more to it than that, right? It's such a fascinating way to put it.
1: They've really been taught this lie because it, it is really, it's been perpetuated by the media and by governments for decades now.
0: So of course they believe that. Mm, That's so fascinating. So I think we've sort of touched on it now, but maybe we could go deeper. If you could solve one, or as I told you before we recorded, it doesn't (laughs) have to be one, don't worry, we don't have to stick to the rules. If you could solve one or two or three problems for working parents today, I guess maybe in the context of Australia, but also globally, how would you solve those problems, working parents? What would you do?
1: Okay, yeah, look, if I thought about it a lot before um when I thought that it could only be one, <laughs> and I decided that the number, but i will I will say a few, but what I decided would be number one would be workplace flexibility. So I think that having that flexibility at work for not just mothers but fathers would be extremely fundamental to shifting the balance of uh, care work at home because one thing we think about a lot is the way that mothers don't have that much flexibility at work and so so many times mothers shift to a different career path a a different trajectory their careers are stalled and we know that their their wage does often plateau after they've had children simply because they're looking for that flexibility But at the same time, I think something we don't talk about that much is that the fact that because men stay in these roles that are higher level roles, they keep progressing in their career because they're not seen as someone who is really in charge of that care labor, then they're also prevented from being a primary caregiver because... Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to be the one that looks after the kid when they're sick because it's just given that, no, the mum will do that. And Mm -hmm. I think that if both parents were able to have that workplace flexibility with more sick days, more care leave, things like this, then we would be able to shift the balance of care labor and also the ability of women to keep progressing in their careers if that's something that they choose to do. As well as that, I think the second most fundamental thing is childcare. There is really, really a huge childcare crisis in Australia that during the pandemic it was made more clear than it even was before. I think that it's really linked to patriarchy because we don't view care jobs as something that is necessary or something that's worth
0: paying people a lot for. Mm, We love saying mothers are amazing and child educators are amazing, but there's nothing behind it. Like it's just so... It's so superficial, isn't it?
1: Exactly. We're saying it as if that, you know, as if they want to be and should be martyrs. But I think that, you know, childcare comes into this as well because we view that as women's work. Mm. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't get, adequate pay for, that this is just people looking after kids, it's not hard. And so now we have a shortage of childcare workers because people don't want to do that work. I've worked in childcare. I can tell you it's extremely Mm. difficult, absolutely amazingly rewarding. But look, I think it's clear that if people aren't paid adequately, they aren't going to want to do this job. At the same time, the government needs to be subsidizing it more so that families can actually afford to send their children to childcare if they want to go back to work something really incredibly tragic happened for women's uh, progression in the workforce during the pandemic in Australia and in a few other countries as well. I know it happened in America and England and I'm sure in many other countries, which is that during the pandemic when people had to work from home, a lot of mothers realised it would be easier for them to quit their jobs and stay home to look after the children. Mm. And when the pandemic petered down, I don't, no one knows did it end or not, but when it sort of stopped being as severe, A lot of those women chose not to go back to work Mm -hmm. because they realized that actually it wasn't worth it for them. It wasn't worth it financially. It wasn't worth it for their family because they were paying so much for childcare. And this has pushed women's representation in the workforce back.
0: Mm. It's also worse for our economy, isn't it?
1: worse for the economy but I think it's extremely scary for feminism because Mm. so many women have realized that actually it's better for me to stay home and look I think it's fantastic if women want to stay home if they absolutely love it and want to be with their children that is fantastic and that is an important part of feminism to say women should choose Mm. but if it's because it is easier for them because they can't cope being a working mother because it's financially better to stay home than to send their children to childcare because childcare costs more than their wage, then this is extremely problematic, you know, and it will take decades to fix this.
0: And isn't it amazing that we think, oh, it's too hard instead of what's wrong with the system and what's wrong with the structures in society. Like we just think, oh, it's too hard. Fair enough. She quit. Totally get it. Your choice, as we are saying, because we don't want to ever make it sound like the unpaid work isn't amazing because it is like anyone that does it. The unpaid work of parenting is huge, but it's incredible that we just go, oh yeah, fair enough. It is too hard. Not actually, how could society make this better for her or him?
1: Exactly. And I think that it just shows that we need to have more nuance in this conversation because we can say, yes, it can be fantastic to stay home with your children and you should be allowed to if you want to. But also, it's true that many people are forced into this situation they don't really want to be into. And how can we fix that? So we really need to be having conversations at the government level and the government really needs to do something at a national level because this is a huge crisis. And I think as long as we don't change that, we're not going to see real progression, inequality in the workforce.
0: Mm, that's so well put. I absolutely love your insight. I have one more question for you. If you could go back to newly pregnant Elise about to have a baby and give her some advice or even a pat on the back about what she's doing as a working parent, what might you say to her?
1: I think that I would say that you are gonna need to go really easy on yourself with your expectations. On the one hand, but also that you're going
0: to be really amazed at what you can do. Perfect advice. I love that. It, it summed up what so many people have said on this podcast. I think that's really well put.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, you know, on the one hand, you've just got to change your expectations because you're just juggling so much. You know, it is hard. But look, I mean, if I, <laughs> I think every working mum would say this, right? if you see what you can do on, with that level of tiredness, with that level of chaos in your brain,
0: I mean, you would think it would be impossible, right? Sometimes I go to bed late because I'm like, oh, no, I know I can, I can function off being this tired. Yeah. It's like that's not actually the point. You should probably go to sleep. But you're like, right. no, I, know I can do pretty amazing things on 4 hours sleep. So I'll just yeah. stay awake and keep working. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And so that's what I mean with going easy on myself, I guess, because you really got to, you really got to push yourself to take care of yourself because otherwise you just, yeah, you you do eventually break down. You do, you Mm. know, you can push yourself, but there is a point where I actually, it happened to me, I think before Christmas that I, yeah, I was really pushing myself in both in parenting and in working. And then I hurt my back and it was almost like this moment of my body telling me, look, you got to take care of yourself and step back a little bit. And because I do have the privilege that I can work at uh, my own pace, I did I did do that a bit. And I have to keep checking myself though, because mm. you always, I think that we're told so much that we just need to progress, progress, progress as much as possible. And so you just got
0: to check yourself and think, no, it's not a race against anyone. Mm. That's so well put. Motherhood is often the first time that It just turns everything on its head in terms of progression. So I love the way you put that. If people want to find you online, Elise, where should they look?
1: Um, My main two places are Instagram and YouTube. So on Instagram, it's uh, Elise.Adlam. And on YouTube, you can just search my name and it will come up because it's a pretty uncommon name. (laughs) And um, as well, if you go to my website, EliseAdlam.com, you can join my free intersectional feminism reading club. So basically, my idea with that is that um, I will make intersectional feminist theory and resources more accessible to people. So I'm recommending different sources, some academic, but also just things like podcasts and news articles, because I really think that we need to break down these barriers between academia and people who are, I guess, either past that point or not in that point in their life. I think that I want to make it really accessible for everyone. So I have this... um, free reading club. And then if you want, you can join my Facebook group and then I'm explaining some things, breaking down some concepts and stuff like that.
0: Amazing. I'm going to join as soon as we hang up. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've got it was incredible insight and I really liked hearing all your stories. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.